Hi, and welcome to the Hip Health is Pow Her podcast, and I'm your host, Dr. Anna Esperham. I'm an MD, nationally recognized physician with triple board certifications in integrative functional medicine, pediatrics, and medical acupuncture with special pain training and clinical hypnosis and aromatherapy certifications, and we have a team of healthcare professionals that provide real and evidence-based information to support women on their health and wellness path, and our goal is to empower you to awaken your best self, connect with the true you, heal and recover from health issues, symptoms, chronic pain, illness, life stressors, all while feeling your healthiest, full of vitality and stamina to do what you love. And now I'm obligated to tell you our disclaimer that Anna Esperham, MD, is a medical doctor, but she is not your doctor and she is not offering medical advice on this podcast. So if you are in need of professional advice or medical care, you must seek out the services of your own doctor or healthcare professional. As this podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, medical, or psychological services or advice, and none of the content on this podcast prevents, cures, or treats any mental or medical condition, as you are responsible for your own physical, mental, and emotional well being decisions, choices, actions, and results. Health is Power LLC disclaims any liability for your reliance on any opinions or advice contained in this podcast. Uh, was the first person who I met when I was seeking integrative um, medicine therapies when I got ill as a medical student. And she was down in the basement of uh, the University of Kansas <laughs> Hospital <laughs> in this tiny little cubby hole. Um, but even though she was in that tiny little cubby hole in the basement, she helped me tremendously and really got me back on my feet and really um, definitely got me on the path of becoming an integrative medicine physician <laughs> as she became my mentor when I did a fellowship at the University of Kansas School of Medicine, where she was the director. And um, currently, right now, she is the professor emeritus um, at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And she also has an incredible podcast that you guys definitely should check out, The Art and Soul of Healing. And I've been featured on it. And I mean, all these, I mean, amazing um, healthcare providers, researchers, physicians, you name it, have so much wisdom to offer on her podcast. I mean, she's really, really well connected, um, both nationally and internationally. I mean, she gets invited all over the world um, and gets rewarded for her research. And, and so she's highly connected because she really, really paved the way um, for integrative medicine to become more mainstream today. She was, you know, one of the first physicians to do that. And she currently right now is doing intravenous vitamin C research with Dr. Kay Chen at the University of Kansas Medical Center. And she is definitely still involved in much of the scholarly writing today. So she's very busy. And let's welcome Dr. Jeannie Drisco. Thank you, Anna. Boy, that was terrific. Thank you. <laughs> you deserve it. Brought, it. Back, brought back some memories. Well, I'll tell you, I you made this beautiful necklace for me um, when I think you were still a medical student and I cherish it. I still have it. <laughs> so, that is so funny. I actually remember that I was in Colorado. Yeah, I think that's right. Was it during the summer? And I was like, oh, I just have to do something for, well, you did so much for me. And 
I mean, it was really a blessing, you know, to have you, I mean, you really kind of got me through med school. I didn't even think I was going to make it through med school or residency without you. So I don't know, you would have anyway. um, (laughs) Huge accolades. Um, (laughs) So Jeannie, tell us a little bit about your background, other than obviously what I mentioned, but how you got into integrative medicine as a conventionally, you know, healthcare trained doctor. Well, You know, when I went to medical school, they had optional nutrition courses and you could go on Saturday if you wanted, get up on Saturday to go learn about vitamins and minerals. I was curious. So I got up and they uh, told us, they taught us there that nutrition, you could get everything you needed from your food and that taking vitamins and minerals was a waste of money and it just made expensive urine or it harmed your liver. So I believed them for years. I, I just didn't really believe that these nutrients were that important. So fast forward, I got burnout. I was really fatigued and I was almost couldn't even get out of bed. It was pretty bad. And I ran into a friend of mine and he had been going to A4M classes and this was in the nineties. So this was a long time ago. And he gave me a list of a few little vitamins and minerals to take. And within a couple of weeks, I was back to normal practically. So I thought, you know, I've been sold the bill of goods in medical school. I'm going to have to figure this out on my own. So I started reading and studying and getting to know people and listening at the time there were tapes. So I listened to tapes from a lot of leaders in this field and finally was able to do a fellowship with Hugh Reardon down in Wichita at the Reardon Center. So it launched me on this path. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it's it's really incredible because, you know, Jeannie built the KU Integrative Medicine Clinic, which really was, I mean, it it was big um, at the time, and she really built it from the foundation really on her own. Um, She networked with several people um, in the community to help with funding the clinic. But I mean, mean, we treated so many people and it's really a one of a kind clinic because you created a fellowship there, which is very rare um, in the United States. I mean, there definitely is more now, but you were kind of one of the first uh, fellowships and really training healthcare providers who otherwise wouldn't be trained in integrative medicine um, to actually become certified and now board certified in integrative medicine. So it was a huge feat um, for you, Jeannie, to actually create all of that. I mean, I mean, it was huge. You should be rewarded like thousand times over. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have been rewarded because the fellows that were trained have gone out and they're passing this on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a gift to be able to educate. And I know you're doing the same thing at Children's Mercy, passing on your education and, and what you've learned in the interim, you've learned so much more um, with acupuncture and, and homeopathy and aromatherapy that you're, you know, it's just a gift to be able to pass it on. Yeah. And I, I'm hoping we'll be able to do more of that um, through a lot of the national service, the organizations that we work for, and hopefully bring more physicians and healthcare providers on board because people really need it. It's, it's, you know, integrative medicine is really just good medicine. It's just all kinds of medicine. It's just what should be used today. So we're going to uh, talk about 
intravenous vitamin C, one of the integrative medicine therapies that we used to do at KU Integrative Medicine and that you're currently studying. But do you want to tell us just a little bit about IV vitamin C? Sure. You know, I learned when I was down at the Reardon Clinic in Wichita from Hugh Reardon, I learned about IV vitamin C. Uh, I really didn't know a whole lot about it, but he used it to treat chronic fatigue, mononucleosis, cancer, and just a broad array of health problems that were really knocking people's feet out from under them and making them almost stay at home for months and months at a time without any hope. But he was able to turn around a lot of the chronic illnesses. And it was so startling to see these people come back and, and be healed and, and feel so much better. And I got very interested in the history of it. And Hugh was one, he's now uh, deceased. He died in 2005. Um, but he was one of the pioneers along with Abram Hoffer and Bob Cathcart and many of the other leaders in IV vitamin C at the time. And he really started a lot of the research along with Abram Hoffer. So I felt like I had a, a mandate to continue the research in intravenous vitamin C. And a lot of people wonder, well, you know, if, if vitamin C is so good for you, maybe I ought to just take a lot of oral vitamin C and, you know, that'll probably be good. But oral vitamin C, even the liposomal form can never get your blood levels up like the IV and in introducing it into the vein. Yeah. And that's what really trips up a lot of uh, conventional healthcare providers is because they think it's an antioxidant. Uh-huh. And so that's why, you know, what you've been studying it for um, has also um, been involved in, you know, cancer research. And so some of these oncologists, for example, get real worried for anybody being on a vitamin C because they think it's an antioxidant. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, what is your recommendation when you're usually discussing this with an oncologist? Well, it's really interesting. And this is some of the research that Mark Levine did at the NIH. He showed, and Kay Chen, when she was at the NIH, um, they showed that when you introduce the vitamin C in the vein, it goes out of the vein into the extracellular space and it gets turned into hydrogen peroxide through the series of steps. And it's the hydrogen peroxide that's actually doing the killing. Now that's a pro-oxidant. So your vitamin C has gone from an antioxidant when taken by mouth to a pro-oxidant when put in the vein. And it all happens in that space around the cells. So it's really almost a magical thing because the, the normal cells can get rid of the hydrogen peroxide, but the abnormal cells like cancer cells or cells infected with a virus don't have the machinery anymore to get rid of the hydrogen peroxide and it'll kill them. Yeah. And so that's where we need to advocate for a lot of patients is that when, you know, a doctor or healthcare provider says, oh, that's a antioxidant, you shouldn't be on that right now, especially when you're getting chemotherapy, for example, um, or when you have a, you know, sepsis or, you know, a severe viral illness, for example, well, we kind of have to come back to the research and say, well, no, it is a pro pro-oxidant. Um, and we just have to show them the research because there is research out there. It's just that these providers really haven't studied it, unfortunately. They haven't. 
And with most doctors, if they don't know it, it doesn't exist. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, our ego gets in the way. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. (laughs) It happens Um, to the best of us. Yeah. So it's, it's really interesting because with the uh, pro oxidative effects, you can really take like a kid with mononucleosis, for example, that's been told, you know, they've got a big liver and a big spleen and they're very fatigued. They've been told they need to go home and get well over a month and drop out of school. And, but with IV vitamin C, you can give them a dose on Monday, excuse me, a dose on Tuesday and a dose on Wednesday. And by that dose on Wednesday, they're back with their backpack studying their homework. So there's, and then they're back in school. So it's really an overlooked therapy. Yeah. Well, that's what, you know, happened to me. Cause when I had, when I was diagnosed with that polyglandular autoimmune syndrome, the chronic fatigue syndrome, this was actually after mononucleosis. So they thought it was more chronic mono, but what happened was the chronic mono turned into an autoimmune syndrome that chewed up uh, my adrenals. And so adrenals for everyone who don't know is basically your energy production. It produces cortisol so that you can study that you can, you know, get sick and then recover. Um, it, it's basically provides you a buffer against the stress and, but unfortunately I didn't have much of that. And so what IV vitamin C did for me was just give me that extra burst Plus it gave me a lot of energy. And then, um, if, if I was having, you know, chronic mononucleosis or any infection, which they thought I was having chronic infection because I did have, if you have polyglandular autoimmune syndrome, you can't fight certain bugs, um, especially yeast and fungi. And so, um, I had the chronic candidiasis and it really helped, um, cut down on the infection, um, that I was having. So it kind of, I did a whole lot for me and, and, um, besides just giving me a little burst of energy. Yeah, it's wonderful. I keep, I keep bottles of vitamin C in my refrigerator at home for the emergencies with the bags and the, the IV setup. So yeah, it's, it's nothing short of miraculous when it works. Yeah, that's what I do too. So in case I'm sick around anybody or someone has the flu, I'll just start myself on some IV vitamin C, you know, preemptively just in case. And I've, I've never gotten sick. I think there was COVID running around, um, uh, what was it? February of 2020, a whole bunch of nurses uh, that I was working with got sick with this respiratory infection. Mm. And I, you know, was starting to come down with something. And later on I did actually have antibodies to COVID. So that's why I was thinking it was COVID. Anyway, Uh I started myself on three days of IV vitamin C and I never got sick. I never got that respiratory infection and it had knocked these nurses out. It really just, it was a bad one. What was the dose that you used? I used 25 grams. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I, tried to get up to 50 grams, but I could never get up to 50. I, I always it's 25 is pretty high for me. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. so yeah. And I think people should, should realize that, you know, they take a vitamin C, they're taking 500 milligrams or maybe a thousand milligrams, but with the IV, you can get up into the gram doses. So many fold more. And that's, that's the trick. I mean, yeah, that's the important trick. You know, you said something about COVID. Uh, there was a team of us that submitted an application to the government to study COVID and IV vitamin C. And they were not interested in it. They said, well, you don't have any animal studies. So that's the study that Kay Chen and I are working on right now is looking at an animal model of COVID 
and using IV vitamin C in those animals. So, wow. Oh, that's so yeah, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And, and so that, that was the grant that you guys just got. No, we, well, we just, <clears throat> excuse me. We just got the grant to look at the, yes, the animal studies, Okay, but not the human studies. Not the There's, human. Just a brief intermission to let you know our Health is Power Wellness Coaching Members Club has successfully launched with an amazing group of women and wanted to let you know that you can be a part of this too. This is a members club for women who want to heal or recover from any chronic symptoms, pain, illness, or who just want to have more energy, perform better at school or at work by learning and implementing evidence-based wellness, self-care, nutrition, fitness, integrative therapies for mental health health, physical health, emotional, and spiritual health, as we'll have a monthly topic masterclass and workbook or health challenge with a community of women who are supporting each other each, and also with an accountability partner. And this is the time to be well, stay well, because our health is number one. Without it, we really can't do anything. So please head over to www.healthispower.com and check us out. We'd love to have you. We're looking at the different doses of vitamin C. And the problem is, you know, some of these sepsis trials that are out there, they've been in JAMA and so on and so forth. The problem with those trials is they're using very small doses of vitamin C. They're using like one gram or maybe eight grams, but never very much. And you can't fight a, an infection that's causing someone to be overwhelmingly sick and in the ICU, you can't treat it with a drop of vitamin C. You need the 25 or 50 grams of vitamin C. And so was that the study that uh, Dr. Alpha Fowler? Um... Alpha Fowler did one. He What he does is he gives about eight grams every four hours. So he's giving a 24 hour, a 24 gram dose over 24 hours, but it's just not enough. Okay. Um, we don't think. And uh, actually it's, it's uh, was every three hours cause it came out to 24 grams, but uh, uh, Merrick, Paul Merrick was giving just about one gram over eight hours. And that's just worthless. There's no way that that little dose of vitamin C is going to be adequate to kill COVID or, or a bacterial infection or any other viral infections. And, and that's why their studies are coming out negative and it's get, kind of giving a black eye to vitamin C research. So when I talked to Dr. Alpha Fowler, uh, it was so many years ago, this was in the midst of his research on IV mm -hmm. vitamin C and sepsis. Well, what he was looking at in terms of, you know, more subjectively, um, the results that he was getting, he kept sounding like he was getting great results <laughs> at the time. And that yeah. all of his, all of his ICU buddies were using IV vitamin C and that he didn't even need to use this study. So um, I think it's interesting how the statistics, when that came out, yeah, it was, it, it was interesting because that was a small trial that he was running. And then there was a consortium of people in different ICUs around the country that used his protocol, but it was kind of a mess the way they arranged it. And then they weren't using enough vitamin C anyway, but it did show that the people um, that got the IV vitamin C had, uh, they didn't die as, as, as many of them didn't die as the people that didn't get the vitamin C. So there was benefit and survival. Yeah. Okay. Maybe that's what he was referring to then. Um, so, 
outside of infection and, and sepsis, um, COVID, when we were talking about cancer, the, a lot of the cancer that you studied was ovarian cancer and pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. Now, what are some other types of cancers that have been studied um, in regards to IV vitamin C benefits? Well, um, we've looked at bladder, we're in the middle of doing a bladder cancer study right now, which makes a lot of sense because the IV vitamin C goes through the kidneys, doesn't go through the liver, it goes right through the kidneys. And so it'll sit in the bladder. And uh, so we're in the middle of that. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but it looks promising. Don't mm -hmm. know, obviously. Right. And it's a small trial. We're just trying to get proof of concept. Um, we've, there's also been people who have studied prostate cancer, uh, different, uh, brain cancers. I'd really like to do a neuroblastoma study in kids. Yeah. I think that needs to be done, but, um, we can't seem to get anybody really interested in that. There's so much brain cancer in kids now. Yeah. Just, it's horrible. We, yeah. Just because we see a lot of headaches, we diagnose a lot of tumors, unfortunately, when we get MRIs, um, mm -hmm for a progressive headache, or especially if they're vomiting in the early morning. And that's, you know, usually a red flag, but, um, so yeah, it is interesting on the brain cancer. And, um, I, I probably am just seeing a lot more of it because I'm in the division of neurology and we work with neurosurgery and have all these case conferences on it. But, um, I think that would definitely be a study that, um, would be warranted if we can, the pediatric studies, obviously, you know, are always a lot harder to get into <laughs> to <are>. study children. <laughs> They are, and they're so needed. Mm -hmm. We did a pharmacokinetic study or a study and to look how, if you inject different doses of vitamin C in the vein, what happens to the body in terms of the white blood cells and the kidney and all of the uh, electrolytes and those kind of things. And that's really interesting. And we're, we're about ready to publish that. But I think that, and that's of course in adults. So what I'd really think is necessary is to do children, right. We need a PK study in children. Yeah. Cause unfortunately when we're able to use the IV vitamin C and typically it's used adjunctively, um, for cancer. So getting chemotherapy plus the IV vitamin C, usually, um, it can be given with most, uh, chemotherapeutics except for methotrexate. And then was there another one, Jeannie? Um, well, they were thinking some of the biologics, but that hasn't turned out to be the case. Okay. Um, and usually we'll use it for the really, you know, the poor prognosis when the oncologist doesn't know what to do. And then, you know, they think mm -hmm. it's a lost case and they're like, okay, well then you can try IV vitamin C. Um, but what's interesting is, you know, one of the cases that, you know, we had was a teenager with, I think ALL who had very, very poor prognosis with ALL. And they weren't sure, you know, if this child was going to make it. And then, so when we did IV vitamin C, I think three times a week, you know, she made it, she fought it, she got over it. She's in remission and she's doing well. So, yeah, well, yeah. there's a value to it. Absolutely. You know, I'm glad you brought that up about the chemotherapy, because that's another thing that people are worried about is using the vitamin C with chemotherapy. And in our studies, we showed that when you add the vitamin C, to the chemotherapy, they both work stronger. There's more of a benefit. It's synergistic in most cases. So that's, you know, a lot of people, I still get emails from a lot of people around the country, researchers or clinicians wanting to use vitamin C in cancer. And they're always afraid 
they feel like they have to use it in a different week. Like, oh, well, I'm going to get chemo this week. I should use the IV vitamin C the following week. And I said, no, use them together. It's better. Yeah. And, and, you know, another worry too, um, that I heard not from my, you know, when I used to work with the pediatric oncology group at the academic center, they were like, oh yeah, this is really non-toxic therapy. I don't know why people are so worried about, I mean, the oncology pharmacists would be talking about IV vitamin C and how it's so non-toxic. Now, what are some of the worries about the toxicity of IV vitamin C or the side effects or the adverse effects? And that's a very good question. That's really important. So when we screen people for using IV vitamin C, we look at their kidney function, make sure that they have a good kidney function, because as I said, the vitamin C goes out the kidney and you want to make sure that when the vitamin C goes out, it, it can be excreted well, and you're not going to do any more damage to the kidney. So that's number one. And then the second is looking for an enzyme called G6PD. And if you don't have very good G6PD enzyme, the vitamin C can go in your bloodstream and break down the red blood cells and cause hemolysis. And then you're, you actually have bleeding in your urine because the, the broken down red blood cells are going out in the urine. And I've seen this, and that's something that Paul Merrick has written about. He said, oh, you don't need to worry about that. And I feel like I need to write an article in, uh, to counter that because it's an extremely big worry. And then the third thing that we like to look at in our research studies, uh, we actually do a 24 hour urine to see if they excrete oxalate. So we're not making oxalate kidney stones, but honestly, we've never seen that in our studies and we've, we haven't seen it in the clinic because we get a history and we find out if they have kidney stones and if they know what kind they are. And there's some people I've advised if they have a history of oxalate kidney stones, not to get IV vitamin C because okay. it can exacerbate those kidney stones. Yeah. I've seen it in a couple people who, um, never knew they were predisposed to kidney stones, but it ran in their family and then they got, you know, an IV vitamin C and then all of a sudden they had a kidney stone a couple of weeks <sighs> later. So <laughs> it's not as fun. <laughs> Oh. Um, so in, when we talk about cancer, we talk about infections now, what about, have you seen anything? And this is only because I know several women who I work with, um, who have HBV associated changes in their cervix, you know, that predisposes them to cervical cancer. Have you seen anything in relation to the research on this or anecdotally? Anecdotally, there seems to be a benefit in just tissue repair. So if they have some early changes in the cervix, for example, and you have a consistent IV vitamin C use, you might see some improvement in the healing in that, in the, of that tissue. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've known, I think at least two people who did IV vitamin C after they had some changes, they had HPV changes and had to get a colposcopy. Mm -hmm. um, and then when they finally got their colposcopy, everything looked much better. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Yeah. So that's uh, interesting. The, the, the thing of it is some of these women uh, continue to smoke. Oh, and if you smoke, you can't get your blood level of vitamin C up. And I don't know why that is. I've always wanted to do a study on that. But you would think with like 25 grams, for example, of intravenous vitamin C, 
you'd think that would be able to overpower the cigarette smoke, but it doesn't. You cannot get those blood levels up of vitamin C. So I think their smoking prevents them from getting other nutrients in the cervical area as well. Oh, so, I bet so, because that changes yeah. the tissue in and of itself. So I don't even know if you can get the blood flow there. I wonder. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So when you talk about the levels of vitamin C, can you tell us that? Because I know a lot of people who are using IV, a lot of practitioners who are using IV vitamin C don't have the capability to measure yeah, the IV vitamin or the, yeah, the level, the vitamin yeah, C that's level. That's so important. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, it's a very fussy test. Vitamin C starts to degrade very quickly. Let's say you draw a blood sample within five minutes, that vitamin C in the sample is degrading. So if you expect the patient to leave your clinic and go to the lab and get their blood drawn, then it's too late. You'll never be able to figure out how much vitamin C they have in their system. So we came up with a little quick and dirty test where you can use a blood glucose monitor where you do the finger stick and check your vitamin C level that way. But what it's, and the reason it works is because the vitamin C looks like glucose. So the bot, the, the glucometer, the finger stick glucometer is actually measuring the vitamin C, but it thinks it's measuring glucose. So you take a reading at baseline, let's say your blood glucose is hundred and then you get or IV vitamin C, and you take another finger stick and it'll say 400. So you subtract the two, 400 from 100. So your blood level is about 300 milligrams per deciliter. So that's a quick and dirty um, method to check it. And we did a little test to show, a little research project to show that indeed it's pretty, it correlates pretty well with the blood levels done by machinery, HPLC. I'll see if I can link that article um, yeah. on the show notes. Let me, yeah, I think I can. I think I actually have that somewhere. I have to find it. Okay, that, that would be helpful. The scary thing is some people, I had a patient that was on a research project in the hospital, an ovarian cancer patient with diabetes. And after the vitamin C, the nurse did a finger stick and it was really, really high. So she panicked and gave her insulin. And so her glucose wasn't that high. It was a vitamin C. Yeah. So we have to be careful to have to be careful to, <laughs> to know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, are there any other conditions that IV vitamin C has been studied for? Well, um, I know that they've looked at it in brain health and uh, di uh, people that are diabetic have very high levels and their diabetes isn't in control. They have very high levels of glucose. So they're not able to get their vitamin C across the blood brain barrier. So that high glucose prevents the vitamin C from getting into the brain. And it's so important for mood and cognition and a number of things. Um, it, it's really alarming that uh, that the, the diabetes can be so harmful to every inch of the body. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I think, particularly people that are diabetic should make sure they're taking plenty of oral vitamin C, but if they're out of control and their kidneys are functioning pretty well, they should look at IV vitamin C. Yeah. 
That's interesting because, you know, even people who get, you know, the 25 grams of IV vitamin C with the B vitamins and the magnesium, mm-hmm. you, some of them do report that feel good effect. Um, uh-huh. They're a little boost in mood and, <laughs> and happiness. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it does boost dopamine or, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. But it does something to the brain. It definitely is important. It must be important for serotonin production as well. Right. Um, how long does IV vitamin C last? And that's a great question. You know, we, in our pharmacokinetic study, our PK study, we saw that we got a peak blood level at the end of the infusion, but it fell pretty rapidly, like in a couple of hours. And then by the next morning it was gone. So there's a peak, but I mean, gone in the bloodstream, gone in the urine but it's in the tissues. And you were talking about the adrenal, the adrenal sucks it up like 10 times more than goes anywhere else in the body. So that's, you know, even though it's, they get a peak blood flow and then it's gone, it's in that extracellular space. It's in the adrenals, it's in the brain. So it's, it's doing its magic even a day or two later. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Usually when I did it, I have a, you know, two to three days of pretty good energy levels. Um, and that's what a lot of people report too, when they're taking IV vitamin C, not for, you know, cancer or anything like that, but, um, if they have chronic fatigue or if they're, you know, fighting something, um, then they do kind of have this little energy boost for a couple days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So important. So, you know, I, since KU integrative medicine isn't there anymore at Kansas city, do you know where people can go to find more about IV vitamin C or where to get it or who to talk to? Well, it's turned into such uh, an important therapy in people's minds, maybe not in the medical minds, but in the people's minds, they uh, they, there are now standalone centers that give IV infusions, including vitamin C. So if you can find a reputable center that has uh, maybe an advanced practice nurse there on site and nurses trained in IV administration, I think you can be pretty confident. Unfortunately, some of the centers here in Kansas City will give one gram, which, as I said before, is worthless. So you need to make sure. And then there's some doctors who are giving IV vitamin C in their clinics. So you yeah. just have to seek out. Um, and I think there's places like American College for Advancement in Medicine and the Naturopathic, AANP, the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. They will uh, tag members who give IV therapies. <laughs> And uh, so I think it's, it, it, it can be found if you're industrious enough to look. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes like if you're working with a provider who's interested in it, sometimes they can learn more about it too, um, by reaching out to even a compounding pharmacy who knows how to use IV vitamin C. I, I really like custom RX, uh, compounding pharmacy in Wichita. Mm-hmm. They do a great job of educating. They, they, um, Dr. Andy wrote, she does a really great job of educating um, physicians and providers throughout Kansas and Missouri, um, teaching them about different, you know, integrative therapies, including IV vitamin C. And I think they do a pretty good job. They are good. I, uh, you know, we used them when the clinic was open and really respected them. 
Yeah, I still use them. I use them a lot for um, like topical compounding pain creams for a lot of my patients. So yeah, I think they do a great job and a great customer service mm-hmm. too. So um, well, anything else on IV vitamin C that you wanted to touch on um, newer research? Well, I just want to remind people that not to think that they can take really high doses of oral vitamin C, like 20,000 milligrams of oral vitamin C and think that they're going to be able to be equivalent to getting an IV. And there's some people that advertise that some of the liposomal vitamin C people advertise that, but it's just, you can't do it. Yeah. Even with like, they'll, they'll show you little graphs and say, Oh, it it (laughs) almost reaches, you know, IV vitamin, but don't trust those graphs at all. They will definitely do that. And so, yeah, that's definitely a far. So I, I, wouldn't waste your money on that. I mean, you can take it for, you know, an antioxidant purpose, but not for the purpose of IV vitamin C, what it does in terms of killing cancer cells, um, potentially preventing metastasis and, um, um, preventing or overcoming sepsis and then, um, killing any infection like bacterial, viral, um, yeast fungus, for example. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that our animal study can go forward and be successful, but you never know until it's done. Well, so I heard, you know, just a side note on COVID-19, my little, you know, national um, pediatric integrative group um, was sending some emails to each other about um, if you get COVID or to prevent COVID, they were talking about um, newer studies um, on glutathione, mm-hmm. zinc, um, and then there was one more herbal. Were, what was, was it? Vitamin D, I think, is also yeah. helpful. Although there was just a JAMA study that said same drug, different condition, same outcome. You know, some scornful thing. But the people in the study gave vitamin D in a high dose one day. And I see you patients. Oh yeah. I mean, no. How the, how do they think that's going to work? Yeah. It's inconceivable. But we, when we came back from uh, we we were in Costa Rica last March 2020, and we knew we got exposed. So we took the really high 50,000 international unit doses for a couple of days, and we were not sick. And I'm pretty sure we were exposed to COVID then because wow. we had some minor symptoms. Oh, wow. Oh, um, that just reminds me, uh, quercetin. Quercetin has been studied in, um, uh, in vitro. Um, yeah, in vitro studies, um, but they haven't done it in humans, obviously. So I, I'd be excited to see that, see where that goes. <clears throat> you know, it's really odd because all of these wonderful natural products that we know are helpful, that the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission has shut down some of my colleagues around the country for saying on their websites that they, you know, they give little articles about zinc or vitamin D, for example, and the FTC will send them a letter and said, 
you take this down now or we'll take away your license. They have done that. Um, they have taken away licenses. We, I'm on the Integrative Health Policy Consortium and we had to talk to the Federal Trade Commission regarding this and really educate them. They're not saying it's curing you know, no. COVID. They're just talking about there's been studies on this. And so the Federal Trade Commission was still going after them, you know, even after we discussed and tried to educate oh. them. So I think, it, you know, probably just a witch hunt, but. Yeah, it's such a bias against natural products and they're they're so effective when you use them correctly and you can have a good underlying baseline healthy diet so yeah no it, it is it's interesting the politics of it for sure but you know we just need more studies and we shouldn't shut down something that may potentially help people um to uh -huh. prevent death to prevent illness um even the uh, you know amount of neurologic signs and symptoms that occur after covid so oh my gosh it's terrible yeah so anyway, but uh, I'm so happy we did this IV vitamin C interview. A lot of women were asking me about IV vitamin C. And so I think this will be enlightening and, and hopefully help them advocate for themselves if they ever need it, because unfortunately, a lot of healthcare providers won't know what it is. And sometimes they'll say um, some potentially false information regarding mm -hmm. it to confuse you. So um, anyway, if you need to reach out for more info, just let me know. I'm on Instagram at health health underscore is underscore power. And then how do people reach you? Are you on social media, Dr. Driscoll? I am. Uh, I, I can be reached at Jeannie, J-E-A-N-N-E -N -N -E, at the art and soul of healing.com. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And then she also has a website, um, the art and soul of healing.com as well, a part of her podcast. Um, and then you guys can also subscribe to her podcast and rate and review it as well. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, I'm so excited that you're, you're doing this work with women. I it's so needed and it's an really an underserved group for integrative medicine. So thank you for doing it. I want to get you back on my podcast to talk about power. Yeah, that'd be so fun. Yeah, it really yeah. is underserved. I, I mean, I even read multiple studies on how women's wellness, women's health is totally underserved mm -hmm. even now. I mean, when we're, we're 2021 right now and it's still underserved. So yeah, so hopefully be we'll quiet, need... sit down and take this pill. <laughs> Exactly but you're, right. you're on the front lines, Anna. Go, no girl. longer. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks so much, Jeannie. All right. And before you go, everyone, I just wanted to say thank you so incredibly much for listening to Health is Power. And if you really loved the episode or love the podcast, please share with a friend and hit subscribe. And if you can, please rate and review so we can continue our mission of helping women all over the world to heal and recover from any health issues, have more energy, and awaken their best self.